Welcome to Recloseted Radio, the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing sustainable apparel company, or looking to make a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and each week I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, I interview Olivia, and Olivia is the founder of Simply Live and Simple Coffee Co., two very different businesses with the same mission to inspire simplicity, community, and sustainable consumerism. She lives in a small mountain town in Colorado with her husband and three daughters and drinks way too much coffee than she cares to admit. I'm really excited about this episode because we dived really deep into her sustainable coffee business. She ran it throughout the pandemic, so we talked a little bit about that. We also went into her content creation business, and we discussed a lot about how brands can set themselves up for success when they work with influencers and how they can have more effective campaigns. And because she is a mom and a sustainable consumer, we talked about how she works with that. And then last but not least, you can tell that she has a lot going on. So we also talked about balance as well and how she takes care of her mental health. This was a jam-packed episode, so without any further ado, let's get started. Thank you so much, Olivia, for coming on to Recloseted Radio. I am so excited to dive in today. I know we were just talking about how you're super multifaceted, and I feel like there's a whole range of questions that we can dive into today, which is why it's super exciting. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about your background I always like to tell everyone that's listening, like your journey and where you came from. So yeah, just feel free to share anything around what you studied in school or how you got to where you are today. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. Um, That's a a big question as well. (laughs) Um, So I studied English education and creative writing in college. I dropped out before graduating because I was pregnant with my first um, and wasn't completely sure that was the direction I wanted to go anyways. And so I kind of just put it on hold. And I was super, super young at the time I was 20 and life was really scary. So I just (laughs) needed to take something else. So school was kind of the thing that went. And after that point, I started publishing my own words on my blog and started writing there and kind of found an outlet for all the things that I loved in school, all of the, you know, the creative writing piece and stuff and started doing that um, on my own. So officially, I guess my background is in English and education. I'm really glad that I didn't go the teacher (laughs) route, but yeah, I loved the time that I had in school. I went to school at CSU, uh, Colorado State University in Colorado. Yeah, I would love to go back. It's one of my goals is to finish, but yeah, we'll see (laughs) when I can squeeze that in. Yeah, totally. And I feel like a lot of the time now, like people are not really doing what they studied in school. And it's, it's so funny, but did you ever think that you would be doing what you're doing now? And if not, how did you end up where you're at today? 
my goodness, never in a hundred years, I didn't even know this was a job, the blogging side of things anyways, at the time, it wasn't really, blogging was like just getting started. So I didn't even know I could be making money from it, let alone, you know, having a community around it and all of that. So um, it was, it's kind of really cool to see how it's all worked out, but the coffee side of things, I have always said I was going to open a coffee shop. That was kind of like, if you knew me when I was a kid, that was like my, my goal in life was to open my own coffee shop and create a little community around it. So it's, yeah, it's cool to see those two things that I love kind of mesh into one mess of a career per se. It's not, I don't know. I don't think of it as a career, but a lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of mentioned at the beginning how you are very multifaceted and multi-passionate. And I want to dive into the blogging side of things and also the coffee business side of things. But before we get in there, maybe just to really hone in on your story a little bit, can you tell us what really prompted you to start a more conscious and mindful lifestyle and maybe what kickstarted it and what the early days of that looked like? Sure. That's such a good question. Motherhood, I always say, is what kind of catapulted me into thinking more deeply about my lifestyle choices and the things that I was putting on my body and the things that I was putting in my body. Um, and then also, and my daughters, you know. Um, and I started with fashion, I got really into the uh capsule wardrobe community, um, which is kind of like the roots of my blog are in minimal fashion and slow fashion. Um, and it all was pretty interconnected with creating a capsule wardrobe, which for anybody who maybe doesn't know is a, just a super pared down wardrobe, basically of seasonless pieces that you can pair and wear together. And it really just prompted me to think more intentionally about not only my wardrobe, but basically all aspects of life from there, it was kind of just the starting point. And I was like, if I'm going to be thinking about who's making my clothes and what materials are used and all of the ethical questions in there, then it's not really in alignment with that to not branch it out into other aspects of my life. So um, it was a slow learning process, but it definitely started when I became a mom, started my blog and started connecting with other people in this the uh, slow fashion space. And yeah, it really grew from there, but it was a definitely an organic, slow growth, nothing like a explosion overnight kind of thing. But yeah, it's been really, really fun. Yeah. And I appreciate how you say that you started with clothing and then you expanded because I feel like a lot of people have pressure to do everything perfectly from the get-go. So overwhelming. And then you end up giving up and not doing anything. That's always my advice to people is one thing at a time and then you form habits and it just sticks with you, you know, and then it trickles into other areas of your life. Yeah. And you touched upon the fact that motherhood really catapulted this decision. And I know a lot of other moms out there want to live a more conscious and sustainable lifestyle, but it's already so hard juggling being a mom. So do you have any tips for mothers or mothers to be that also want to be more mindful? That's so good. Yeah, that's, it's hard because motherhood is, like you said, a giant change and being sustainable in our world without kids is hard enough. So 
I always tell people that having kids doesn't have to change what you're passionate about or what you care about. It just, they kind of are just along for the ride and the decisions that you, that are important for you and your lifestyle are also going to be the way that you consume things or parent your kids as well. And so, I mean, when it comes to fashion or things that require money, you know, like organic food or buying from brands that are maybe fair trade or ethical, um, it requires you to slow down a lot, maybe stop consuming as much as you would be. Um, clothes wise, you know, like you can't keep up with fast fashion paces at a slow fashion uh, budget. So slowing down in all areas of life is always my first step, really analyzing if it's something that you want versus something that you need. And then for moms, I always say super heavily to rely on secondhand options, especially for your kids, because they grow, they grow out of things so, um, so quickly that it isn't even worth spending the money on something brand new for them most of the time. So um, you need a lot less than you think you do. <laughs> and don't be afraid to look for secondhand options. And then invest in things that you love when you can. It's There's a lot of grace and lots of uh, kind of learning as you go. But I don't want any mom to be turned away from a more slow, conscious lifestyle because she thinks she can't access it. I feel like this is really similar for just people in general because sustainability has this bad rep, I like to say, for being inaccessible or expensive. And it can be the case for sure because it's more expensive materials and fair labor to your point. But there are other options like secondhand or like clothing swaps. And I, I think you make a really great point. Like the little ones grow out of their stuff so fast. So yeah, it's also more financially responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always an option for every budget, I feel like, that's at least more conscious or more sustainable. And that's going to look different for everybody too, you know? So, Yeah, totally. So you went through kind of that English route, then you started blogging, and then you also mentioned you've always wanted to start a coffee business. When did you actually start Simple Coffee Co? And how did you get the decision, like, this is the time to do it? And how did you have the courage to do it too? Because I know it must have been scary. Yeah, the coffee shop happened a lot more recently than all of the other um, blogging things. It, we launched the first, or opened, I guess, the first coffee shop in November of 2019. So um, just about two years, I guess now, right before everything got crazy. I had no idea what was about to happen with, I, as far as like, when did I know the timing was right? I had been trying to open it for a lot of years. I had this business plan written up and, you know, the concept of it just kind of like sitting on the back burner of like my goal list for my life and had tried I don't know how long, probably for four or five years in different ways. Like I tried to do one with my mom when we lived in Nebraska and just different locations, different concepts, all kind of revolving around coffee and none of them got far at all. Um, and so when the space that we are in now for our first location opened up, I just, you know, slowly started kind of pushing at the door 
figuratively <laughs> to see if it would open. And as it did, I just kept putting more and more um, eggs in that basket and it became pretty clear that the timing was right. So I uh, <clears throat> always tell people that I don't believe fully in the whole wait until the timing is right thing because you never know when that's going to be. And so I try to coach people through pursuing their dream, you know, when holding it loosely, but also fiercely and going at it. And then you'll just know when the time is right, because it'll keep, keep moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And can you explain a little bit to people or break it down for people that haven't been to Simple Coffee Co. before what you do? I feel like you guys have a very great sustainability aspect to it. So I'd love for you to share. Sure. The biggest thing, I guess, with our shop that most, that's kind of like the hook for us is that we don't use disposable cups. So we don't use paper or plastic cups at all in the shop. And in lieu of those, we do a reusable glass jar system. So we have 12 ounce glass jars that people can take for their to-go cups and they pay a 50 cent deposit, which is already kind of um, factored into our menu prices. So it's, they pay for the glass and then they get it back, um, that deposit back every time they reuse it or drop it off. And then they can swap it out for a clean sanitized one every single time or um, pre-COVID anyways, we had to stop doing this for a while. They were allowed to bring their own mug, which was super encouraged um, and then got the same discount. So we are not the only shop doing this. There's at least a dozen others in the world that I know that are doing similar things. So we kind of took inspiration from those and relied on the advice from people doing similar things. It was a scary decision because we are primarily a to-go only shop um, to begin with before COVID even. We have very little seating space. And so I knew that the majority of our customers were gonna be to-go. So having no disposable options for people was kind of a scary choice, but I couldn't in a good conscience send people out with the amount of trash that most coffee shops make. So it's been a really, really cool conversation starter. Yeah. I really appreciated that when I, cause I was doing research obviously for this interview. And then when I was on your website, I was so excited about it because single use plastic is the bane of everyone's existence. So it's great. You're doing that. And just from a business perspective though, have you found it's a big hassle to only offer glass jars or has it been okay? And, you know, do you have any advice for businesses that are currently using single use items for convenience and, you know, how can they switch? It's, less it's not not a hassle so much as I would say it's just a mindset switch um that's required and we had it a little bit easier than um, maybe other companies do because we were starting from nothing and just built sustainability into our values from the get-go whereas other shops have had to switch you know to jars or to other reusable things um mid operation when they already have a customer base and all of that. So that can be trickier because people's feelings get hurt and things like that. But for us, it has been pretty seamless. We have, a, you know, this really rare occurrence of a customer who's upset about it or just want, is confused. More often than not, people just aren't 
sure what it is and they have questions and it's great and we can always answer their questions. Um, but as far as like the hassle bit goes, it's built into our, you know, our operations as a company. And so it's just like what our reality is. We charge a little bit extra in our menu for the jars so that we can pay the, you know, dollar more that caught that glass costs per cup than paper or plastic does. And so in my head, it's really just the same thing as using paper or plastic, except we're not throwing it away and we get to save money in that way because most people get to reuse their jar and we get another jar back. So to anybody who is wanting to maybe make a more sustainable switch, I always say just go for it and your people will find you. Um, there's, it's just so important right now for companies to be leading the way because there's so much pressure on the consumer that I don't think is necessarily fair, you know, to be making all of the, the huge changes in the world. I think companies have a lot more um, power to actually change things on a larger scale. So yeah, I always encourage people to just do it and their customers will will follow, hopefully. And you talked a little bit about how you started in November of 2019. And obviously that was before everything got shut down. You also talked a little bit about how you have a small storefront, but you were also primarily to go already. So did you have to pivot a lot throughout the pandemic? And how did you manage it? How was navigating that? I assume it was really difficult. It was stressful. Yeah. For like everybody else, you know, we were all in it together, which, which, um, kind of helped a little bit. I think nobody was without their own set of chaos, but for us, we had to shut down all indoor interaction for the beginning. We actually closed for a full month, um, in, I guess it was last April, which is a super slow season up here to begin with. We're very tourist, um, driven. So April's kind of like a in between time when people aren't really up here. Um, so we just closed for that whole month. My kids were out of school, my older two, and I was, I just couldn't handle having three kids in there with me and trying to run the business. And yeah, it was a lot. So we just said, we'll close it and try to regather, um, in May before the summer starts. Um, and so once we reopened, we, everybody was, you know, doing the mask thing and we were, social distancing, all that. And we just did outdoor curbside stuff and walk up. So we totally shut down our inside and let people order online, order ahead and all of that stuff. And it worked really well. And slowly, I think, I can't remember when we started, when we were allowed to let people back in, but it's kind of just slowly been a <laughs> getting back to where we were for those three or four months or whatever before, or it was maybe more like six months, but yeah, before we had to totally shift gears. Yeah. And I feel like you were able to pivot quite well, which is great considering you were only in business for five months. Throughout all of this, what do you think are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? For me, I flexibility is huge and everybody has kind of been forced into into um, that flexible lifestyle that we maybe wouldn't have had before, but not holding your 
must-haves too, you know, tightly because things could change in an instant and you might be forced to pivot completely and rework your entire business model. And yeah, it's definitely taught us a lot in that regard. And then another thing I would say is to, this is also consistent with like my (laughs) lifestyle goals and everything, but the whole less is more thing really paid off in our favor. Um, If we had tried to have a really broad menu or offer, you know, a lot of food options or, you know, frou-frou drinks and all of that, I don't think that we would have been able to keep up. Um, We would have had to pare down so much just to like get by. And the fact that we are already so focused on simplicity, it's literally in the name, um, on just offering a few things really, really well and putting like all of our time and focus into the drinks that we offer really enabled us to be able to continue serving them without worrying about, are we going to be able to survive this? So it was, it actually worked out in our favor that we (laughs) weren't doing too much overcommitment is like my biggest fear in life. And so I started super slow on purpose and yeah, it paid off. Awesome. That's great. Those are some really good lessons. And just to wrap up this coffee portion, I also wanted to ask you how everyone can be more mindful about their coffee choices. Are there certain beans or like, should they be using reusable containers? Do you have any advice there? Yeah, absolutely. It obviously is going to vary depending on where you live and what you have access to. If you're local shops are allowing you to reuse your own cups. I know a lot are not at the moment, but definitely always just have one in your purse. Sometimes people can make the drink like in a pitcher and pour it in so they don't have to waste a plastic cup or a paper cup and then pour it into your own. Um, And I hope that as things kind of move on in the summer, that will become the norm again. But that's the first thing I always tell people. And then The second is also pretty obvious. Try to support small, locally owned, women-run, if possible, um, coffee shops in your area as opposed to going to a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks or whatever else there is. Um, That's honestly the biggest thing you can do to make sure that money is going back into your community and that you're supporting people who actually need your support rather than a corporation who probably isn't making the best choices for anybody involved. Um, And then, yeah, things like fair trade beans and all of that are, it's a very in-depth conversation, but I always tell people to just support the roasters and the companies who are the most transparent as far as whether they're just doing direct trade or fair trade or um, they're going to the coffee farms themselves. There's so many great coffee companies out there and you can always ask your local coffee shop if you aren't sure where to start to, I'm sure. Everybody has their own favorite. Yeah, love that. That's really helpful. Okay, so let's dive into the blogging slash Instagram space now. And can you tell us a bit about your journey there? So I know that you kind of started it and then you didn't really think of making it a career per se or making money per se, but tell us how that evolved. It started as more of just a creative outlet for me during a season when I was really just struggling with 
having something that was mine. Um, I was a new mom, a super young new mom and needed, you know, a sense of identity and writing has always kind of been an outlet for me. So it was just the natural um, behavior for me was to write. And I started my first blog, which isn't even in existence anymore, but it, like I said, slowly drifted towards fashion as I started thinking about um, consumption and mindfulness and all of that. And then once I got deeper into the capsule wardrobe community, I learned about sustainability and um, ethics within the fashion industry and how messed up and kind of brainwashed (laughs) I had been as a typical, you know, mall shopper who, you know, impulse bought everything and stress shopped and all the things at whatever store it was at the time. I don't know, Forever 21, H&M, all those places that we all shopped at and kind of just committed to not shopping from there anymore. And so it forced me outside of my comfort zone in that I had to um, research a lot more, connect with brands on a really personal level. I had this blog that I was like, oh, maybe I can reach out to them and, you know, do a swap or something. And blogging was so different than it is now back then. It was like five or six years ago, I think. And nobody was really doing it as a job. And if they were, they had like, you know, millions of followers or hundred thousand followers. And it was just very, very different than it is now. Influencers were not a thing yet. Um, And so I just started pitching myself to friends and companies that I connected with along the way and people who I had bought clothes from and kind of started growing my own sustainable closet that way. And then eventually realized oh, I could actually be charging money for the content that I'm offering these brands and the things that I'm doing for free right now are actually really valuable now that my audience has grown a little bit and all these things. And so I slowly started charging. I think my, you know, I started charging like $5 for a post, like just super low. Um, It was really scary actually to ask people to pay me. Um, But it slowly grew just like everything else. And I realized I could be charging more, talk to other friends in the niche. There's always, you know, like a community kind of around whatever industry you're in. And so I made connections and friends there and we kind of workshopped our rates together and all these things. Um, And as the slow fashion industry grew, which it has definitely exploded since then it has become easier and easier for brands to value the work that I'm doing and to make an actual like living wage from it so it kind of slowly just turned into a full-time or maybe not full-time but a very time-consuming job that I'm getting paid fairly for (laughs) you talked about this a little bit already but there is a lot of value that influencers bring to brands right like right I think people just see, oh, they're doing an Instagram post or they're just doing a story, but you don't see the negotiation that goes on behind the scenes. You don't see the storyboarding, the creative direction. Like you're literally the creative director. You're the photographer. You're the editor. You're the marketer. (laughs) (laughs) You're the writer. Yeah, all of it. You wear all the hats. And so there's, there's a lot of value there. And sometimes 
you know, on the brand side, because we work with a lot of brands, I sometimes see this perception that they feel like every time they work with an influencer or every time they're about to collaborate with someone, they feel like they have to be able to get these results and they have to get these sales. And that's not always the case, right? Like sometimes it's the brand awareness play or the likability play. And so what do you have to say to that? And like, what do you think the value is that influencers really bring to brands? And maybe what other metrics do you suggest people attract? Sure. Gosh, yeah. Influencing is the new advertising, I think. It's kind of, you know, whereas people a couple of years ago maybe would have poured their money into running an ad on I don't even know, the radio or TV or, you know, filming a commercial or putting up a billboard, like influencers just have these audiences captivated at, you know, the click of a button. It's so easily accessible and the content that they're providing their audience and the brands that they work with is invaluable, honestly. And I think our mindset has been pretty warped about it in the past when influencers have been super guilty of just accepting, you know, free stuff for promotion for years and years and years, because that was the norm. And then um, anytime anybody switches the mindset to, Hey, I want to get paid for all of this time that I'm putting into it and clothes don't pay my rent, all those things. um, It's kind of, look down on a little bit, which I hope is slowly starting to unravel, especially in the ethic, in the ethics space. That's definitely more than norm to pay people fairly. Um, I was never a quote unquote influencer in the fast fashion world. And I know that it's even more prevalent there where brands will just, just lots of exploitation and taking advantage of people who love clothes. And um, so I hope that in the future, it can become even more sustainable for both brands and content creators. Um, As far as the brand's expectations, I've seen that a lot (laughs) in my negotiations with brands and just kind of the upfront expectations that are laid on influencers when they're approached, they are asked about, you know, their conversion rates and their mm, insights about you know, clicks and purchases and all these things that brands want us to track, which is important on one end of the spectrum. But on the other end, like you said, there's so many different ways to look at the uh, the value that the content creator is giving the brand. And if they're expecting an X amount of sales from one from every single, you know, influencer that they work with, they're probably going to be disappointed because each, you know, each campaign is going to be more engaging. Each campaign is going to be, have a different focus. So some might just spread brand awareness, which is incredibly huge. Every time your brand is tagged, you're getting exposure to thousands of new eyes that probably haven't heard about you. And you know how they say brands need, or it takes two or three times at least of being exposed to a brand before you purchase from them. Right. So Um, that's a huge piece of value that influencers offer. Um, I think it takes really, really high engagement rates for, um, content creators to drive 
a lot of sales um, in the in most cases. Some brands work better than others at this, but you have to have thousands and thousands and thousands of clicks for the percentage of ones that are actually going to make a sale to convert, you know? So I think having realistic expectations is really helpful on both sides. And that's kind of why I switched to a long-term only. I know that you've, you uh, had some questions about this, but it's been really helpful um, in keeping expectations in check with the current collaboration structure that I have, because I've been up and down so much with questioning my own worth when my stats maybe don't perform as much as the brand is expecting. And so, yeah, being, being honest and having realistic expectations is important for both parties. Yeah, I really think so as well. And we can segue into that. But I read your blog post on affiliate marketing and no longer working for free on your website. And I, I thought it was a really informative and just like really transparent piece of work. And I think it was really well done. And so can you talk a little bit more about that and talk more about why you now work more on a long-term strategy versus one-off campaigns? This has also been kind of a long time coming. I take forever to, you know, make a decision on anything. So I've been pushing for more of a long-term structure in my collaborations for a long time. Once I realized that this line of work per se is pretty unpredictable (laughs) in the busy seasons of the year, you can have, you know, a month's worth of content lined up or more than you can handle. And then there's months when you have nothing during the slower seasons, all of that. And so as a mom and as somebody who's trying to like make, make this a job, I needed some level of predictability. So that was my main reasoning for going long-term. I think in, I don't remember the year, maybe 2018, I started doing that just as like an option. I still had my one-off collaboration options, which just means like a one-time blog post or Instagram post, things like that, that brands, cause I wanted to be accessible. I didn't want to say I only do this. And if you don't want to do it, then you can't work with me. Um, so that it went well, a couple brands um, jumped on board with me, but I found that by and large, most of them were still choosing the one-off structures because I think that that was just what they were familiar with. Maybe a lot of them we're just, you know, looking for that super quick um, in-feed post that got them a quick blast of exposure and then um, they wanted to move on to the next. So as I really started to think about where I was putting my time and energy and how much, I guess also this is worth noting that these collaborations take a ton of time. And so on in the months when I have, you know, eight to 10 different brands that I'm working with and doing a blog post for each of them or an Instagram post for each of them, those can take, you know, five to 10 or more hours per post. So it was just a lot of time and I was spread really thin. So I knew that I had to minimize my collaboration options, but still be able to make money. So um, I made the switch to go completely long-term only this at the beginning of this year. So in January and um, it has been a slow start, but I have been able to be super picky with the brands that I'm working with. And I try to keep it 
this is all in the blog post too, but um, at a minimum of, of two to three months. So I'm continually exposing my audience to this brand over the course of that time. They get discount codes. They get a variety of, you know, content on Instagram, blog posts, stories, try-ons, unboxings, all these things just in a a lot of exposure over that amount of time. And it's worked really well because I can just share authentically as I'm using the stuff. Whereas before it was a lot of pressure to stage everything and, you know, how it is, um, you know, make all these perfect blog posts that I've realized I'm just, it's not me. I'm not a photographer. I'm not, you know, the perfect lifestyle creator. I want to dive deeper a bit, if you don't mind, into that longer term strategy. So like, what does that look like? Does it look like sitting down with the brand and really saying like, okay, we're going to be together for three months. And so we're going to do this, this and this, like, how does that work? It's very, very customizable. Brands can do like a social media only option, or they could do a combination of blog posts and social media. They can pick and choose what platforms they want me to post on, um, how often, things like that. What kind of content I'm going to do? Do they want reviews? Do they want interviews? Do they want try-ons? Like all these things that I will ask them about up front before we get into it. And then it's all priced on, on a sliding scale, um, which is also pretty complex and hard to, to um, solidify sometimes because I really want brands to not have to turn away because my rates are too high. I know that especially in the sustainability and ethical fashion world, a lot of brands are just literally not even paying themselves and they're barely getting by um, with the cost of fair production and all of that. So I'm aware of those things. And I know that most of them don't have giant, you know, marketing agencies running their ad campaigns and things like that. So we take all of that into consideration. A lot of times I'm the first influencer that somebody's worked with or something like that. So I try to be super um, aware, I guess, of what the limitations on the brand's end are and then kind of tailor what I'm able to do and what feels fair to me um, around that. So I have, I guess, um, I've done a lot of different things. The one that I'm working with currently is a brand that I've worked with ever since the beginning of my kind of content writing journey. And it's been a journey of getting them comfortable with paying for um, content creation and all of that. So it's been really cool to see them be the first ones to hop on board with this new structure too. So yeah, it kind of, it looks different for everybody, I guess. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I know you just implemented it at the beginning of the year, so a few months ago, but do you find like the results are better for this compared to what you were doing before, or it's still a bit too early to tell? I feel pretty confident saying that the results are better if I do the time and if the brand does the time with me to make sure that we are the best fit. I've been on the other side of things on the brand side where I've helped brands set up collaborations and influencer outreach and done all of that before and mass campaigns where people will pitch dozens or more, you know, content creators and just send them all out product. And it's all just kind of a mess of <laughs> people posting things all over the place. And like that kind of structure does not work well with this mindset that I have now. It's a lot slower. It's a lot more intentional. 
And it really requires the brand to slow down and say, okay, what are our expectations? And if we're going to be putting this amount of money into you, um, here's what we expect, things like that. And so I think that once you find the right brand and they align with your values and the piece of they align well with your audience too, once that all clicks, it can be super, super effective because your audience is getting, you know, almost continual reminders that, Hey, this is a brand that I love. And this is a brand that I wear all the time. Like I literally tag this brand almost every day in just real content that I'm doing every day. So it's not, not anything staged, not anything, you know, it just feels so much more authentic to the direction that I'm trying to go. So in that sense, yes, it feels a lot more (laughs) successful and valuable Yeah. And I think that really makes sense. And I was going to ask you really around maybe the best campaign you've ever done and why you think it's so successful, but would you say that now that you've pivoted, you're finding that it is just working so much better? Yeah, I definitely say the ones that I have currently are my favorite brands that I've ever worked with and brands that, and the most successful as far as conversion on my end too, just my, um, I can ask them the brand, I guess, for, you know, actual stats, which I need to do once this one's over, but just through like word of mouth and hearing people who have shopped my discount code and things like that. Like, I just know that it's a lot more effective than other ones have been in the past where it's just like a single blog post, you know, that you expect people to remember, but they probably don't. And, Yeah. So I just, I love it and I can't push it enough for people who are maybe burnt out with the current structure of things. And another thing that I always, it just kind of grinds my gears a little bit is when companies send out a bunch of PR packages to influencers and they just mass send it. They don't even ask if they want it and that there's like a million pieces of plastic on it. And so like, do you have any recommendations on what you think brands can do to really become more mindful when it comes to their PR packages? For the most part, the brands that I work with are already super conscious of their packaging waste, which is cool because I'm already in the sustainability niche. So they're already working on things like, you know, compostable packaging or maybe recyclable if it's paper, things like that, which is huge. Not using plastic to wrap your your piece in things like that as far as what content creators can do or even uh, consumers who are buying things we all have been shopping online a lot more <laughs> lately than probably ever before um i save pretty much all of my packaging that i get which is a lot less this year than it ever has been before because i just working with a lot less brands um a lot fewer brands, but I save pretty much all of my packages to reuse whenever I have to ship something like via Poshmark um, or things like that for gifts, things, you know, any, anytime you need to ship anything, it's always helpful to just have like a stash of bags or resealable packages. Um, A lot of them will be recyclable. So just make sure that you're paying attention to the labels on all of the packages. I know that like Amazon's packaging isn't recyclable for the most part. Bubble mailers, things like that aren't. You can also um, 
reach out to the company specifically before you order and just say that you don't want um, bubble wrap or you don't want the plastic poly bag that the shirt or whatever it is might come in and that you're willing to take whatever risk is involved there. Um, I've had brands be willing to just cut normal packaging for me. So yeah, there's options, I think. Yeah, that's really helpful. And just zooming out again, like you have a lot on the go, you have your content creation, you have your coffee business, and you are a mom. And so really curious about how you, I hate the word balance, but how do you balance it all? Or how do you take care of yourself? What does that look like for you? Oh, that's like the million dollar question, right? I feel like everybody asks business owners and moms. And when you combine both of those things, it's like, what are you doing with, <laughs> with your life? How are you doing this? Oh, for me, I honestly, I feel like I by no means do it all. I, there's always something that I'm like, wow, I really need to be putting more time into this or this is, you know, this is falling below where I want it to be. And that's how I know that I'm spread too thin. My biggest tool in my tool belt is just the word no. <laughs> I say no a lot. I have to be for like super conscious of what I am putting my time into. I have to turn down a lot of opportunities or meetings, you know, business things that I'm like, I just do not have the bandwidth for this right now. And that's totally okay to do. You have to know where your line is and then you just don't cross it because being burnt out is not an option for me. And I am very, very, very protective of like my inner sense of peace and happiness around what I'm doing. So as long as I'm being a present mom to my girls, a present wife, and then putting enough time into the businesses, I feel like I've, that's like enough <laughs> for me. So I have to stick to a pretty like strict schedule as far as like what time I'm at the coffee shop, I'm fully at the coffee shop. And then when I'm blogging, I'm fully blogging. When I'm with my kids, I'm fully with my kids. I can't, I can't multitask. So that's another thing. Practice monotasking, say no a lot. And then putting time away for yourself is always, always, always worth it. Whether it's a bath at the end of the day or just literally zoning out and scrolling TikTok. That's been like my fun thing for me lately. Or going on a walk, like just, you know, things where you don't feel pressure to perform or post anything or respond to emails or whatever it is. It's hard. Don't ever expect like you're going to have the perfect balance. Every day is different. I love those tips and I completely agree with you. I once heard from someone that you can have it all, just not all at the same time. And I really resonate with that. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Well, I feel like this was really awesome. And thank you again for sharing with us all of your insights. And last but not least, how can everyone find you and support you? What are your links? So my personal blog is, or I guess on Instagram, I'm at the simply live, L-I-V. And my blog and Instagram is all the same. Actually, my blog is simplyliveandco.com. And then uh, the coffee shop is Simple Coffee Co. on Instagram, Facebook, and the website. So yeah, those are the two main places. 
Yeah, that sounds great. And I'll have all of that in the show notes too for folks that want to check you out. And I'm also going to include your affiliate marketing blog post for people that want to read it as well. So if you guys are curious, just like look in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. This was really great. Yeah, thank you. I'm honored to be here. It's been fun. And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed it and you took a lot out of it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. Additionally, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe because new episodes will be automatically downloaded, and it also helps us as well to continue to provide this podcast for free to you and continue to share all of these valuable resources. If you haven't already, also make sure you rate Recloseted 5 stars if you think we deserve it and write a positive review. That really helps us as well. And we will see you again next week. And in the meantime, together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.